spring is in the air and spring training is here. A lot of you in South Florida are going to be driving on the highway back and forth, probably about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes if you're headed over to Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium or even the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And if you are doing that, you may as well consider getting yourself into a pre-owned vehicle and the place to buy one if you're listening to this podcast is happycarsflorida.com. Happy Car, which is located 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale and is owned by my buddy Louie, who I have been buying cars for for 20 years. Those of you who listen to this podcast should know that last week, one of you went in and bought a car from Louie. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for mentioning me. His phone number is 954-800-2449. Again, the phone number is 954 800 2449. Whether you have good credit, bad credit, or no credit whatsoever, it doesn't matter. Because you know why? When you buy a car from Louie, he finances the car in-house. You don't have to go anywhere. Give him a call right now, 954-800-2449. Check out the website, happycarsflorida.com. Guess what? If you don't see a car that's on the website and you want to drive something different, Call Louie, tell him Craig sent you, he'll get the car for you. You'll be driving out of the lot the very same day. HappyCarsFlorida.com, 954-800-2449. Go check out Happy Car and drive away happy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I'm your producer, Jeremy Taché. Joined, as always, by Craig Mish. And Craig and I had the opportunity to actually get back to Jupiter yesterday as pitchers and catchers reported for the Miami Marlins to spring training. Craig, how great was it to be back out on the field just kind of watching everybody get their stuff done? Yeah, it's it's really a great time of the year. I, we've talked about this many times before. Uh, now that FanFest is kind of in the rearview mirror uh, and pitchers and catchers are now working out, on Monday we'll have the full squads. But, you know, truthfully, a lot of the players, the position players on the Marlins are already there. Usually they're on the field before um, – they'll sort of coincide here because, um, you know, they're getting on the field earlier in the morning. So on Monday, we'll have a chance to uh, speak, I would guess, with, uh, with uh, Marlins CEO Derek Jeter, Marlins owner uh, Bruce Sherman. I'm expecting both of them to be in the house on Monday. We'll get more of a perspective as to the broader view of, uh, in terms of the on-field yesterday, Jeremy. As you know, we had a chance to hear from uh, Don Mattingly a little bit more in depth than we normally do. So I guess we can kind of start there. Yeah, well, so Mattingly spoke. He covered a lot of different topics, obviously, you know, as it's the first day back uh, doing actual baseball. Obviously, Mattingly spoke at FanFest as well, but that was a little lighter. So, you know, what were your main takeaways from what Mattingly had to say yesterday? Obviously, you and I were posting on social media you could see it at swings and mishes uh but what were your thoughts you know in regards to a lot of Mattingly's statements yeah a lot of it was not surprising and and a lot of the statements were basically along the lines of yeah the team has to be better we've brought in better talent and certainly all that stuff makes a lot of sense because they have they've brought in uh, Corey Dickerson in left field who immediately makes that position a lot better uh they brought in Jonathan VR who I think is probably the best player on their entire roster, they'll, you know, Manning will get into him with, you know, sorting out where he's going to play every single day to go along with Brian Anderson, who's also a very good player too. Uh, so all those things were not really, uh, you know, that surprising, um, you know, not naming an opening day starter is, is part of the fun hmm. conversation. We all speculate on that. You're not going to do that two months out before the season starts. Um, the one thing that did catch me a little bit uh, by surprise was just the, uh, the mention and notion that uh, with Manning mentioning the national media without even really being uh, solicited on that. I was yeah. surprised. Um, a little bit to hear that. 
and hear that where they're being picked, et cetera. Uh, oh, you know, you know, you know, I would like, I think he said, I'd like to know who's not picking us, you know, to be in last place. Um, for me, I, that was a little weird. That was a little weird because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that when you look at the positives for the Marlins is, uh, you know, the culture of the organization has certainly completely changed. They're bringing in all good people. Uh, their minor league system is very highly ranked. They're doing unbelievable things internationally, both in the scouting department um, and in the learning department as well in their academy with Emily Glass and all the great people who are doing things there. The draft has been uh, called their best draft maybe ever in the history of the franchise, being led by DJ Spillick there. Uh, they brought in great coaches, as it would appear. Rousen, Hatcher, Mel Stottlemyre is there, and you know, Don Mattingly, again, as a coach, as a manager, a potential Hall of Fame player. But you are a last-place team. I mean, you, you, you won 57 games last year, so I just – you know, I, I don't know that that's the route that I'm going with this yet. I, I, I mean, it's a little presumptuous to think anything else. Now, with all of those great things being said, it, this is still Major League Baseball, you know? Mm-hmm. So with uh, the Nationals coming off a World Series and the Braves being as good as they were last year, and, um, you know, certainly you could poke holes at the Phillies and Mets, but, I mean, they're dealing with almost, you know, 200 or $300 million payrolls. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure that's the route that I'm going right now is by, you know, saying nobody believes in us. Now, you maybe internally, I think that, yeah, I mean, that's probably what you do, as you say, is you you have your bulletin board stuff. But um, you deserve credit from the national media in terms of how the organization is being built. You right. don't deserve any credit at the major league product over the last two years. You deserve none. You won 57 games and 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 the year before, uh, you know, barely breaking the uh, hundred loss barrier. So I mm-hmm. think that there is some, uh, at least from my point of view, some more humble in me. Like, hey, like, like <laughs> to me, the the statement that is made this year is a new level of the bar is being set. Or so we're you know we're setting right. the bar higher. You know, some something along those. Now, some of that was mentioned in fairness, um, but I, you know, and and again, I'm part of the local media. I'm you know, kind of part of the national media too in terms of what I do every day and. And it is unfortunate that there are still people that will clown on the Marlins. We saw it in USA Today where they kind of, right. you, know, you know, the social media account kind of clowned on them too. But you're on the field. Major League Baseball product in the end is what we're going to uh, judge this by. And so what I kind of looked at, and I know that on this day of the Astros, you know, talking and apologizing and doing everything that they did, it still does kind of your, your best case scenario is kind of playing out I know it's crazy to say, but how the Astros did it, where they lost 100 games, um, you know, three years in a row. And then going into that fourth year or that third year, however you want to put it, you know, this is kind of the year that they need to take like an Astros jump. And when the Astros won, I believe it was 70 or 71 games. Mm. They went from 51 to uh, I believe it was 70 or 71. Um, and you may say that when they went to that 70 win plateau, like, oh, but they didn't have anybody at that point. Oh, they, you know, all those guys, I mean, they had Dallas Keuchel on that team. They had George mm-hmm. Springer on that team. Jose Altuve hit 340 on that team. Brad Peacock was there. Um, Colin McHugh was there. I mean, they had a lot right. of pieces that ended up helping them win 85 games and then a hundred games and then winning the world series. And I know it's maybe an apples and oranges, different conversation because so many people, are looking at the whole cheating scandal now, which is a, a podcast for another day. Right. But just in terms of, of building something to get to a championship and excluding that from the equation and bringing in the talent, 
even when the Astros law, won 51 games and lost 111, they had the first pick of the draft the next year. They drafted Brady Aiken, who never played a game in the big leagues. Right. All I'm saying is this is not an exact science. There are some pieces on this Marlins major league team that are part of the future, but I just don't think that from a major league baseball product on the field that that going after or saying that, you know, where is the national media picking us? They're picking you where you deserve to be. Right. You only won 57 games last year. There's, there's not much. I mean, you've added pieces, but I'm coming this, I'm coming at it on the more humble side of things. And I'm basically saying, Hey, look, um, you know, we got to earn it back this year. You know, we, we, we have to, we have to hold a much higher level of accountability in wins and losses on the field this year not is the and not where is the national media picking us no no i mean they're picking you where you're supposed to be and, and if you make a 15 game improvement jeremy over last year which which uh the pakota uh rankings came out the other day their record mm-hmm. and um from baseball perspectives had them winning 71 games that's been the high so far as, as to what i've seen certainly possible they could win 70 they could win 100 it's baseball you never know <laughs> but but that being said that's still last place in this division right so use it Sure, use it inside, but I'm I'm not giving the national media anything else at this <laughs> point to just slap me down anymore. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from that, and uh, on, on that side of it, I'm focusing on all the good things that are happening outside of the major league product. But look, Don Mattingly, he's a major league manager. There's pressure on on him as well. Last season did not go particularly well. Uh, there I am. There are no excuses going into uh, this year. They wouldn't admit it, but I'll end on this. Last year. They would never say it was an excuse, but you heard it mentioned a bunch of times. Things were kind of going okay along the lines of maybe avoiding 100 losses and winning somewhere in the 60s. They traded Zach Gallen. It forced Noessi into the rotation full-time. Yep. They traded Anderson. They traded Trevor Richards. They made a lot of moves that it, it appeared as though they kind of handicapped uh, Don Mattingly with some of the things that he could do late in the season, and then they went completely into the tank. The year before, they traded Brad Ziegler. They didn't have a bridge to get to Stecken Ryder and Baraclaw, who completely fell apart. They went into the tank again. There's no excuses this year. You know exactly what the deal is. There's a chance you're still going to make some trades at the All-Star break or July 31st. They got to win more games. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you want that respect on the field, in the majors, you got to win more games. I illustrated all of the great things that are going on that people do not see that perhaps – is important for the national media to to recognize, but that's not their job. The national media is right. covering Major League Baseball. The national media is not going to sit here and say, "Oh, the great, oh, they're doing a great job developing their kids, and they're all graduating from the Dominican Republic." That's just not realistic. That's not where we're at. I think uh, you hit the nail on the head in regards to expectations within this division. I think that's a huge part of it as well, because as as many solid additions as the Marlins did make, and we're about to get into a couple of them playing in this division that could arguably be the toughest division in baseball, who's going to pick you not to be last, even with some of those, you know, higher expectations for this organization going forward. So, you know, I I think for the Marlins, it is about internally knowing you want to take that next step and know that little by little, you can build that major league organization to be where you want it to be. But, but two of the players in which uh, they added were Jonathan Villar and Brandon Kitzler and, and Mattingly touched on both of them and their roles yesterday. So why don't we start with Villar? I thought that his comments on Jonathan Villar and his positional versatility were very interesting. You went back to Villar again, by the way. Yeah, VR. You know, uh, VR like with VR, you'll, you'll until, be fine until he tells me one way or another. I gotta talk to I'm him. Going, I'm up. going with I'm going with VR. Uh, I've said it multiple different ways on this podcast alone. You, 
okay, so this is probably, you know, all, all we know is that he's going to be in the lineup every day. I honestly don't think the organization knows where he's going to play every day. I, I don't, I don't, and that's not their fault. I don't think that they should know. I think it has to get worked out. Huh. When they acquired VR, it was third base. Then it became uh, the left field. Then it became center field. Then, you know, there's some speculation, oh, maybe he'll play second if Diaz doesn't have a good spring. We just don't know. That's going to have to play itself out. It does appear as though since he spoke to us on Friday at, uh, at the community event, at the uh, at the elementary school, it appears as though Mattingly and Mike Hill have discussed the idea of him getting time in center field. I don't know if that was before we spoke to him or after. It certainly seems like after, but it could have been before. I don't know the answer to that. I wasn't specific enough. So uh, there is certainly a chance that, that VR is the opening day center fielder for the Marlins. He did not seem all that enthusiastic <laughs> about it when we spoke, but this is the major leagues. You got to play multiple positions. I know when the Marlins acquired VR, I was specifically told to go back and look how good he was at center field, and that's something that needs to be pointed out. We'll see. But uh, they also have 78 outfielders in camp right now, so <laughs> hopefully they can sort that out because uh, VR just playing a few innings with Billy Hatcher or Juan Pierre on a backfield ain't going to do the job going into the major league season. they got to get that really worked in, I think, if that's really going to be a legitimate option. And by the way, I'm for it. I think it should be a legitimate option because there aren't a lot of great uh, center field options on their team. I think he at this point and John Birdie make the most sense at that position. Right. I, I think adding Villar to center field, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, would just add so much to their ability to mix and match in the corner outfield positions, having players play third base, you know, gives Isan Diaz uh, the opportunity to be your everyday second baseman. And so if VR can play center field, it will be a benefit uh, to this team. And, and he spoke about playing up the middle. Well, center field's still up the middle. And Mattingly yeah. sort of talked about it the same way where, hey, we know he's a guy that likes to play up the middle. Well, center field gives him the opportunity to do so in sort of a different realm than he's used to, but still up the middle of the field. And then there's Brandon Kinsler. And we have an interview coming up with him in a bit, but Mattingly did sort of refer to Kinsler as the de facto closer yesterday when asked about the closer position. So what were your thoughts that sort of said going into this last week that you anticipated Kinsler being Mattingly's closer? Yeah, and, and, and when we get into the conversation with Kinsler, he'll explain how everything went for him. So a lot of people are concerned with, uh, with the Marlins bullpen, and, and that's fair. Uh, but I would say this, that if you, if you have good coaching, you're able to get the most out of your bullpen when you're a, uh, let's use Vegas's number, 64-65 win potential team, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. You're not going to go out and spend a lot of money on the bullpen. Right. So at this stage, where they're at is uh, a lot of questions, some reliability, but players who they think are better uh, strike throwers. And in the bullpen at this point, uh, you know you have Kinsler. You know you have uh, Stanek, who is going to be in the high leverage situations. You know you have Steckenrider, and they did not give uh, Yimi Garcia a major league contract, find him very early on to not be on the team, so we know he's going to be there. He's the fourth guy. And Jeremy uh, Sharp, hmm. who we all don't know a lot about, but he's a Rule 5 guy. And remember, a Rule 5 guy has to be uh, on the 25-man roster. We saw that in the past with uh, Brett Graves who I, I don't even know what happened to Brett Graves, honestly. <laughs> but Brett Graves was on the team the whole entire year. I didn't really do much. Um, I don't know if you would say he's worked out or not, but uh, Eliezer Hernandez was also a Rule 5 pick, and clearly that one mm. did work out. Uh, uh, Farrell was the one that they had last year, and you know, 
it's it's sometimes as a rule five guy it's very unfortunate if you feel like they're going to get rid of you or send you back uh, and all of a sudden you're hurt you paid big league money which is what happened to Farrell Ball last year story for another day uh, <laughs> right. so uh, five guys there Conley and Tarpley are six and seven most likely and so now we're looking at just a couple of guys to fill out the bullpen so um, the, the remaining names are uh, Vestia, who I was told yesterday to keep an eye on. Seems like everybody's very high on him making the team, so it wouldn't shock me at all on the opening day 26-man roster. Vestia is there. Uh, Northcraft you know, gives you a little bit of a different look. Venditti from the left, from the right. Hopefully right. it works out for Venditti, but we also have to be real on him. And as intriguing as his story is, there's the reason why Pat Venditti has been on a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. and has not pitched in the major leagues uh, you know, for an entire season. Maybe with Marlins, this is it. Maybe they're able to untap something. And then closing out the bullpen is, um, is Ryan Cook, who I, I think has a chance to be one of their final guys. If not, go to Wichita. And then Brad Boxberger, who they signed, um, who probably been Wichita to start the season, but you know, certainly has some experience. So that's kind of the way the bullpen shakes out. It's not sexy. You know, on paper, it, it looks okay. But I've seen this play out before where bullpens that look okay are fantastic and bullpens that look fantastic are terrible. <laughs> right. So I'm not going to get all that caught up in it, but I do think that Kinsler gives you the most reliability of anybody on their team. Yeah, the, the Venditti thing is one for show. I will say the one thing that benefits him going forward is this new three-out rule. So he can mix and match on his own to mix and match, but we'll see how that works out in the spring. Got to get the outs, though. Exactly. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the most important thing. And And – you know, again, when he was with the Yankees, and I remember him being drafted, I mm-hmm. thought that his story was fantastic. I thought, wow, this is going to change the game. Mm-hmm. But inevitably, you, you got to get out. So, now, he's also had some personal unfortunate things that have happened to him mm-hmm. uh, over the last year, too. Um, I think he's had illness or something in his family, uh, uh, not to get too deep into it. But um, hopefully that's all you know, kind of put behind him. It's got to be very difficult. I can't even imagine working, let alone right. having somebody in my family having issues. So totally mm-hmm. get it there. Somebody that you're rooting for, almost certainly, but this is the big leagues. You got to get guys out. Yeah, and there's a lot of cool stories on the Marlins team that you're rooting for. Um, something you reported yesterday, Craig, was that Matt Kemp's getting a look over at first base. Uh, I found that to be very interesting, considering who's been playing first base for the Marlins, whether it be last year or who got signed in the offseason. So, uh, what are your thoughts on on Kemp at first, and 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 what's the whole deal there? Yeah, Kemp, Kemp is really interesting. There are some people who feel like he has more or less made the team already. Mm-hmm. And, and I've heard that several times from several people that this is very similar to a Granderson situation from a year ago where he's being brought in to kind of be a veteran presence, uh, some mentoring, and, and also, you know, some big league at-bats. Now, Granderson played a lot more than I think a lot of us thought Right. That he was going to end up playing because, unfortunately, his final year, especially, uh, you know, in the on-base and batting average category, didn't go the way that he thought things were going to go. And then he retired, of course, at the, uh, you know, actually like a week ago, he ended up retiring. So I would not expect Matt Kemp to get those kind of at-bats because, simply put, they were just not there for him. But his, uh, his defensive metrics really slid in the outfield. Um, somebody actually on social media had asked me to check on it. And so... Uh, when I hear something, even though sometimes it's crazy, like when somebody sends me something random, I may not respond, but I'll do my due mm-hmm. diligence just to see. I you know, I wonder, you know, because you never know. Like the internet has things, and you know, sometimes when you dive in, and so I did, and it is true. In the off season, this was the plan. This was one of the things that they discussed uh, him doing was playing a little bit of first base. I still think he can play the outfield. Uh, it would be more, I think, just you know, strictly a left field situation at this right. point. 
and I do expect, by the way, uh, some you know left-handed pitching for Dickerson to sit against. And when Miami was was chasing Dickerson, um, that was kind of the thought process. So I, I know that they're saying that he's going to play every day and he's going to play against lefties, but you'll see, you'll <laughs> see, you'll see. There'll be there'll be days when yeah. when all of a sudden Dickerson is sitting against the lefty, and, and you're going, why? Well, you know, that's that's just part of it. They'll they'll right. move Kemp in there or somebody else. Um, so uh, Kemp's hired a personal chef. I mentioned this the other day. He's rededicated himself to health. Um, you know, he's planted himself in Jupiter at this point. Fitness has been a big part of what he's done. I've heard a lot of really positive things. And so, and by the way, from outside the organization, I didn't know, no one in the organization told me all this. I learned this all on my own. So um, I think that's a, that's a positive for him. He could certainly fit a backup role there. He's going to have to hit a little bit, I would think, in the spring. A little, show a little bit to, sure. to make the club. And then um, something that we'll dive into in the, in the next week or two as, as, as we can is, you know, the first base situation um, that bringing in uh, Jesus Aguilar and having Garrett Cooper there. I don't know how this is all going to uh, shape out, but mm-hmm. I would tell you that uh, I am not completely sold at all that Garrett Cooper does not have a starting job um, on this team opening day. I do not think he's going to be traded. And, and I think that uh, bringing in Aguilar – um, may have ended up being more this may be actually more of insurance than anything else i mm-hmm. think that among organizations that you come to a common goal and you make decisions within an organization like you, you everyone sits down and you know everyone has a voice as we've said unlike the you know last regime where some people don't it's the owner's voice and it's the owner's voice in the end too i think there's some divide on this mm-hmm. i don't think there's divide on signing aguilar i think that like all players in the organization, some guys like them, some guys don't. I think there may be some divide on who likes what. There was divide last year when they named right. uh, Cooper the you know to make the team on opening day. There were some who thought that Peter O'Brien should. It was like a 50-50 split down the middle. This is nothing unusual. Some people are higher on others in the organization. So I think there's some divide on uh, on how this whole first base thing plays out. Inevitably, the boss, the Hall of Famer, Derek yeah. Jeter, will you know probably make the final decision on this one. And you know certainly, you know Mike Hill is the president of the team, so he will as well. But uh, this is this is going to be the one I think to keep an eye on as the spring goes on. I th- and I think Cooper ends up winning the job. It's got a nice ring to it when you say the Hall of Famer, Derek Jeter, the boss, Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's it. Uh, look at that. Big ball. Uh, so before we get into this Kinsler interview, I-, I just wanted to know, you know, yesterday was pitchers and catchers. We we were out there. We saw these guys operating. Did you have any thoughts sort of just on the way that the pitchers and catchers are structured? I know we talked a bit about the bullpen, but were there any sort of takeaways yesterday or sort of just going into that before full squad reports on Monday? Yeah, I I really, I I think that on the first day, it's just essentially getting to watch a few guys throw because they're on this already throwing program. Remember, these guys have been there now for at least a few days, and that's just the first time that we as the media or able to go out and see them. But, uh, you know, a lot of the discussion will, will be from on the starting rotation side as to when we see some of the younger kids and when we see Sixto Sanchez, when we see Edward Cabrera. That's mm. another name I'm going to have to get sorted out here too because it <laughs> says Edward. Um, but I went up to him in the clubhouse and, and called him Edward, and, and he responded to that. We talk, I had never spoken to him before, and I made it a point um, to make sure that I did because I, because I keep hearing – uh, somebody told me the other day that he's the sleeping giant in all of Major League Baseball as far as minor league organizations are concerned. So that he kind is of a giant surprise too. He is a giant. He that's for sure. Giant. Not sleeping, but he is a giant. <laughs> so 
yes. Yeah, so the uh, the rotation will save, you know, in full because I want to get to this interview. We'll save in full for another time. I think everyone knows who Sandy Alcantara is, and certainly everybody knows who Caleb Smith is, and those are the number one and number two starters. Remember last year, Miami was the only team in Major League Baseball to have full health in all of April and May, all five guys, all the way through June until Caleb Smith went down. So if uh, health is not an issue, then Pablo Lopez is in there too, and then they'll sort out the fourth and fifth starters who I expect to be Yamamoto and, uh, and Eliezer Hernandez. So, um, yeah, I mean, we haven't had a chance to see all of them throw, and um, with full transparency, I am not in Jupiter every single day. I'm up there as much as I possibly can be, but again, hosting another show every day from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, and the show is live on radio and also on uh, video, trying to figure out a way that I can do the show from up there. The Marlins have been accommodating to that point too. And I think during the games, when the game, the spring training games begin, I'll, I'll be able to have more of a presence there. But for the time being, it's just kind of like when I can go, but that certainly won't stop me from doing the reporting that I have and, and speaking to people in the organization and outside the organization to see where they're at. So that's kind of where we'll leave it for day one and, uh, and, and really the first few days of spring training. I think that's kind of where I stand with everything. Well, there's lots of good information that you've provided. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, at swingsandmissions.com, we do have two new articles, one from Ian Smith, one from Louis Davila, both sort of previewing this season. Uh, so go check those out. Obviously, follow us at Jeremy Taché, at Craig Mish, at Swings and Mishes, and enjoy this interview with Marlins closer Brandon Kitzler. Before we get to our interview, guys, baseball season is on its way, which means you guys are about to be spending a lot more time outdoors, and it can get hot, and that means it can get uncomfortable, especially below the belt. You don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hair. That's why Manscaped has redesigned and perfected the electric trimmer with their new Lawnmower 3.0. Look, I know it can be sort of uncomfortable to bring up the discussion around men's grooming, but that's why I'm bringing this chat right to you. Forget the awkward in-person conversations trying to find the right trimmer or razor. Just go to manscaped.com and use our code SWINGS to get 20% off and free shipping. I'm telling you this from experience. They sent me the product. I used it, and I'll never be going back. Just some of the great new features include a ceramic blade to avoid cuts and scrapes and nicks, a 90-minute battery, an LED light for better sightline, and a USB charging stand. I mean, it's really simple. Whether you're dating, married, single, anywhere in between, guys, we want to be clean. So make manscaping accidents a thing of the past. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're actually one of the very first people to hear about this legitimately life-changing product. I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Like I said, I've tried it, and I'm not going back. So when you do go to the site, Feel free to tweet me at Jeremy Taché and let me know what you think. I I'm serious. Trim all that junk right off yours. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SWINGS at manscaped.com. You'll be thanking yourself. So again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code SWINGS. Can you walk me through the process of kind of how it came that you decided to sign with the Marlins? Um... Obviously, as we're getting late in January, and we're starting to talk to a lot of teams, it was heating up. And then uh, for me, I was just looking to see who really wanted me. Um, I think that's what, at my age, you want to feel wanted. Especially in my career, you feel like sometimes you're just not appreciated. Obviously, I think I perform well, and sometimes you don't feel appreciated. So if you get a team that really wants you, you know, you want to go to battle for those guys. And, you know, Michael Hill said some good things. I, their plan seems really good around here. I like what they're doing. They didn't throw a bunch of uh, analytic numbers at me, you know. They just want, they like what I do. They wanted me to compete, 
and uh, just actually lead by example. So I was at my set point in my career. That's what I look forward to that challenge, to helping this team go to the next level. One of the opportunities that you do have here is potentially to pitch in high leverage situations, which you flourished with over the last few years with Chicago and Washington and some other clubs. Was that part of the decision-making process at all, knowing that you could potentially have that opportunity? Uh, no, I mean, I always feel like any team I go to, I'll, if I don't start in high level, I'll always work my way to high, levels, high leverage situations. Um, but the fact the opportunity is here, that's, that's nice, but I don't think that was a make or break for me. That didn't really matter to me. I just felt like... It was just a good situation to come help a team go to the next level, and they really wanted me. So, On the flip side of that, there would be some that would say, why Miami? Because in the situation that the Marlins are in, while there are some people who feel like the team would be very improved, not many people feel like the Marlins are winning a World Series or winning a division this year at this stage of your career. Any kind of consideration among some other teams that were winning, and how did that get swayed back to Miami? Um, I felt like this team, looking at the talent, when I played against them the last two or three years, you always felt like, man, these guys are really talented. They just always make a few mistakes. So you feel like they're a little inexperienced. But now they got these guys are getting experience under their belts. I remember in 2016, I mean, Twins, we're the worst team in baseball. And then the next year, we're in first place for half the year. I think it's just a mental switch that you make, knowing that you can do it up here. Um, once you learn how to win some games, I mean, these guys have plenty of talent, so it's not like they're not talented. It's just a matter of mentally making that switch, thinking I can't compete up here. You win a few games in April, and who knows what happens when a team that's this talented you know, gets hot. Closing is always something that comes into mind when somebody at your stage is brought in. You have the most experience, and the skipper said it, of anybody basically who is on the club at this point. Is that something that you want going into the season? Do you want the ninth inning? Uh, I think any reliever wants the ninth inning. And if they they say they don't, then they're probably lying. I think I think I flourished in that. Obviously, I was an all-star doing that. Um, I just love uh, helping the team win and then really competing against teams that I felt like, you know, I would love to beat. So I feel like that situation was a great opportunity for me here. So, you know, I mean, yeah, why wouldn't I? You know, <laughs> Baseball's kind of funny. You pitched in the all-star game in Miami right. in 2017. So when you ended up telling your family that that was going to be the place that you're going to end up going. What was their reaction? Uh, my wife was like, wow, that's really far. <laughs> but I've, obviously, it's tougher for the wives and kids than anybody. But uh, she knows that I've had some great uh, memories in that stadium. Obviously, with the All-Star game, I had only had one kid at the time, so we had a great memory there. Uh, when I got traded the Nats, my first outing was there. My first outing after elbow surgery in 2012 was there. I just, I'm really comfortable in that stadium. And every time I walk in, I always think of those memories. So hopefully, we can create some more. As far as the pitching coach that is here, uh, Mel Stottlemyre Jr., what kind of conversations have you, have you had with him and kind of what has he told you the plan will be as we move toward the spring games? Uh, we've had some great uh, conversations. We've pr talked a few times, you know, just about, you know, obviously the young kids here, what he would like to see from them. And then we just talk about differences of, you know, preparation and routine. And uh, for me, he just says, you know, it will lay it out, see you know, how you want to, how I want to go this spring. I know I like to act like I have a normal spring. I don't like to take a lot of time off because I feel like I get out of rhythm. And then pitching wise, he's just all about, I mean, he's all about what I do. And that's all I can ask for from a pitching coach. Obviously he'll have to watch me making sure I don't get out of whack. But as far as my plan wise, I feel like we're on the same page. Last thing on the Marlins, uh, the CEO of the team is Derek Jeter. So obviously there's familiarity with that. You've had a long career. You've had a chance to see him play. Uh, it must be a little bit unique knowing that a, a player that used to play against is now the owner of the team. Yeah, definitely. It is. Uh, I've seen him a few times. I haven't officially met him yet, but I have faced him 
once, and uh, I think it was his last at bat in Milwaukee. So how did that go? Uh, he he grounded out. <laughs> we won't let him know that. <laughs> yeah, I got a, He was nice enough to sign a jersey and a rookie card after that game. So, and I have the picture of me facing him. I won't rub it in his face too much. But I, he's the Hall of Famer is 0 for one off of me. <laughs> but it is weird. I mean. Obviously, I've been I've, I've had Craig Council, who was my teammate, then he was my manager. So it is kind of weird to see that. And now the guy's the owner. That just shows, I mean, what he's done in his life, and it's amazing stuff. But he uh, he has a good message. Obviously, coming from the Yankees of winning, and you got to listen to his message. I think it's a great learning experience for me. On hopefully, I can stick around longer in this game because obviously, winning is what everybody wants to do. So if I can help younger kids, help them win, you know, it helps me out too. All right, this is kind of completely off the beaten path. Are you a fantasy football guy? Oh, big time. Okay, all right. Yeah, so, big time. all right. So, what was your, how was your season this past year in fantasy? Because that's kind of what I'm known okay, for. My, I had a good season. I won the Cubs league, and I took second in my own league. Uh, Derrick Henry really let me down by not playing week 16, and DJ Moore getting knocked out in the first play of the game really killed my chances. So, uh, and Hopkins not having a good game either. So, but other than that, just, the Cubs league though domination. So. Salt and Pepper. It was me and Steve Ciszek. We were partners. So Salt and Pepper, we called our team. So it was, it was a good year. And uh, finally, along those lines, there are some people in baseball that will uh, ask me, uh, should I draft Brandon Kinsler because there's a chance that he's going to be the closer? Just explain how it works. If you don't know, saves are a pretty significant category oh, in these they? leagues. Yeah, very similar to how touchdowns would be. Oh, okay. It's kind of split around. So Let's kind of ask you in your mind, how many saves can you expect to get for your owners this year in fantasy? Uh, 40 plus. It's a big number. Yeah, I had 20, what I have, 29 and one half. I actually had 25 at the break last time, and I didn't, I didn't get any opportunities after that. Obviously, I got traded. So as long as we're winning, I feel like I can get 40 plus. <laughs>